up, everybody, and welcome to episode 29 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and today we have a special treat, a special guest, a first-time guest on the podcast. He writes for just about every possible outlet on the internet, including Awful Announcing, The Comeback, and uh, The Outside Corner. His name is Joe Lucia. What's up, man? Thanks for having me today, Brad. Really appreciate it. I've wanted to have you for a long time. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, I know you are a Braves guy, despite your national uh, persona, I should say. But you are a Braves. Can I call you a Braves fan? Are you just a Braves-centric person? I, I always, I always, I always want to watch what I say about fan because people that do this for a living, uh, you know what I mean. Like some, some people don't want to be called fans of a specific team, but I know you're interested in the Braves to be sure. I mean, I'm a Braves fan. I'm an I'm an OG Braves blogger. I've been writing about the team since. Oh gosh, 2009, I want to say. Started off in the comment section of this very website back in 2007. So I, I go back a ways. That's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of talent has uh, at least at least at one point or at one point or another visited the comment section at Talking Chop. So uh, it's a nice nice thing to happen. With of course, I had you on on a day where the Braves kind of fell flat on their face. We're recording this on Sunday night. Uh, things did not go well uh, today in San Francisco for the Braves. A 13 to four loss uh, that featured an eight run inning for the Giants, which is always fun. Uh, but you know, on this podcast this year, especially, we haven't done a ton of uh, in depth uh, game by game stuff with the Major League Club for obvious reasons. So we'll uh, we'll breeze by that. And I guess we should start with Tim Tebow. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to start with Tim Tebow. Uh, even though I could, we, we could probably, we, you and I could probably do 10 minutes on Tim Tebow just for fun, but I don't want to. I know, it's funny that Tim Tebow is actually like a really good college football analyst, but that's the thing he wants to do the least is in it. Like, it's, it's amazing, he is very good, and uh, I actually, I think the first time I ever saw your name in print, it was on an, on an awful announcing piece, so we have that in common, I'm a big sports media guy, uh, and Tebow, Tebow is quite good, I just wish he would want to do that more. I know it's it's wild that these athletes just can't get let go of their playing dreams, and now Tim Tebow is uh, trying to switch sports after he wouldn't switch positions in the NFL. So uh, yeah, it's just kind of ridiculous how he just can't realize, hey, this is what I'm good at. Maybe maybe I should just keep doing this. No, he wants to go off and uh, try something new—a real renaissance man, I guess. I just, I just really hope that the Braves get even deeper aligned with Tebow than just attending his whatever workout uh, he puts on. I hope this becomes a story so that it never leaves my life. Uh, and I say that with, with sarcasm intended, that I, uh, I really hope the Braves are just involved with Tebow as long as possible. It, it, it does help the site in terms of clicks, though, I'll say that. Our, uh, our Tebow post about that was uh, a popular one. I can't wait for the article where it comes out that Tim Tebow grew up a Braves fan. So everyone me- immediately wants the team to sign him. Because, it's, it's, because called, it's called the Matt Kim corollary. Yeah. Everyone grew up a Braves fan. So, I mean, come yeah. on. Matt, the, Matt Kemp, I'm convinced, uh, at least 50, 50% of people who hated the Matt Kemp trade immediately liked it after they read the Players' Tribune thing. Oh, definitely, because they were so adamantly against it because Matt Kemp is old, Matt Kemp is expensive, Matt Kemp is lazy. But wait, Matt Kemp grew up a Braves fan? Oh, my God, I'm all in. As if, as if, yeah, as you mentioned, everybody kind of grew up a Braves fan that's in that sort of age range. Uh, I just turned 30. Uh, I have several friends. If you were young enough in the uh, in the 90s, 
uh, and didn't li- even didn't didn't li- live anywhere near Atlanta, you're probably a Braves fan. Unless you're a fan of somebody else that like in that city. If you lived in a bunch of states that didn't have teams or really anywhere in the South, you're a Braves fan. It's kind of what it is. If you like baseball, you like the Braves. Yeah, I mean, I'm born and raised in Central Pennsylvania, and uh, I grew up a Braves fan because of friends of mine that grew up Braves fans. So they kind of nudged me into it, even though my dad wasn't still as a Philly season ticket holder. Oh, my. And the Pirates were a professional baseball team that also played in the 1990s. They were certainly that. That was, I mean, I guess that was uh, the last time they were relevant was the early 90s before recently. Uh, but I was uh, I was six when Sid slid, so I don't really have a reference point of, of Pittsburgh being a relevant uh, baseball team uh, outside of the last couple of years in the McCutcheon era. But that it's a rough twenty year period or so in Pittsburgh, so I can't can't blame you on that one. And of course, the Phillies are the Phillies, and nobody likes the Phillies. And, you know, I do have a soft spot in my heart for the Phillies. You have to. <laughs> the 1993 team was the first team that I like followed on a day-to-day basis and I went to a bunch of games with my dad that year and I went to so many games with that when I was a kid and even though they tore it down and it was just a concrete jungle I still loved it it felt like part of my childhood was dying when they uh imploded it but yeah I've you know there's always teams where you kind of have that affiliation whether it's family or friends that I, I have friends that the friends that I identify as like super diehards of different teams like who actually care about it as much as I do I find myself rooting for those teams uh, just because I want my friends to be happy like I have a friend that's a massive Alabama football fan like to the point where he's like as crazy about that as I am about Michigan football so I always thought you know I want Bama to win if all things are equal because I want him to be as happy as I would be if Michigan won does that make sense yeah, that definitely does make sense. I mean, when uh, when I was dating a girl who was a Florida State fan, I was cheering for them throughout that college football season. But now we're broke up, so I can be like everybody else and cheer so hard against Florida State and feel perfectly fine doing it. Instead of feeling dirty, just wanting to her to be happy and not have to deal with the whole stress of having a miserable girlfriend over sports. Yeah, talk, talking about the Knowles is uh, always always a fun thing, especially lately. I think uh, you either love Florida State or hate Florida State, and most people hate Florida State. I would say so. I think you're you're allowed at this point to be in that in that camp, especially if it was a if it was a rough breakup. I won't ask you that, but you you, you know that, that that affiliation no longer exists. So that gives you the, the free pass to kind of feel the most how most people feel about Florida State. That, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> it's always a different podcast. Well, let's steer away from that as fast as possible. Uh, I tweeted this to you, so anyone that follows both of us uh, knows this question is coming. Let's just get out of the way now. Aaron Blair pitched on Sunday uh, and was not not very good. Uh, Aaron Blair's had a very rough uh, 2016 after some high expectations after he was included in the trade for Shelby Miller. Uh, you know, he was the he was the furthest piece uh, away in that deal in terms of I guess people knew about Swanson because he was the number one pick and obviously. Ender and CRT had already had some major league success, so Blair was kind of the throw-in, but at the same time, I know a lot of people in Braves country had some uh, some high expectations for Blair. He's kind of fallen short of those. I wouldn't say kind of. He definitely has fallen short of those this year. He allowed three home runs today. ERA is still over eight uh, this season. Uh, you know, he came off, came back up from the minors with some, uh, so again, some more high hopes that he might have figured things out, but today was was not good at all. What do you think about Aaron Blair, like, moving forward? He's obviously kind of a mess right now, but are you terrified? Like, where where are you at with Aaron Blair? I don't know if he has 
a future with this team. I mean, he's obviously very highly touted, former top 100 prospect. He was, uh, I want to say, a first-round pick, I think a sandwich pick by Arizona a couple of years ago. Highly touted, as I said, coming up through the minors. But from what I've seen so far this year, he just does not look like a guy that can stick in the rotation for the long run. I mean, even even in the minors with Gwinnett, he was striking out a batter per inning, but he was still he was still walking guys by the bucket load. It's, it's just been a terrible year for him. And I think the only positive you can take from his start today is that he didn't walk anyone. He only threw nine first-pitch strikes and faced 20 batters. He allowed three homers. He only struck three guys out. They pulled him after 67 pitches. It was just a disaster altogether. And it's been such a terrible year for him, and you can't pinpoint one thing. Like with Fulton Evich last year, it was always the home runs. If he can get that home run issue under control, he'll he'll be better. And this year, he's gotten under control to an extent, and he's been much better. With Blair, there are so many things going on with him that I just don't know if there's a fix for this. Yeah, it's uh, he's not he's not that young. He's 24 which is not old by any means, but he's 24, so it's not as if he's like way ahead of schedule. And you mentioned the walks. like That's my biggest thing this year with him is that you know he was never a, uh, a huge strikeout guy. A couple, couple of uh, you know half seasons in Arizona where he struck out more than a batter per inning, but not necessarily billed as someone who's going to be a strikeout artist. But the walks have been really troubling. You know, career, career high walk rate in AAA this year. And then obviously it's even higher than that, over five per nine at the major league level in eleven, and you know I guess twelve starts now. So it's been uh, it's an adventure uh, in terms of control. He can't, his stuff's not good enough to walk five batters per nine. Like that's not gonna work. I know it's all about with him. It's all about the sinking movement, generating ground balls, and kind of just being a hittable guy that's not necessarily going to be teed off on. But the homers are through the roof. You mentioned it. There's just too many things. Uh, wrong right now to not be worried at least to some extent I still think there's a, a possibility he's better than this because uh, it's been it's been it's been that awful but Blair is a, a guy who I was really banking on for next year who I'm no longer banking on for next year yeah I mean I agree with you I, I don't think he's a guy who will have an ERA above eight forever but I don't know if he's a guy you can count on as a long-term part of the rotation I think he's someone that can make spot starts here and there and come up to fill a gap in the rotation for a month or two at a time, but he's not a guy that you can count on long-term, I don't think. This season, he's only thrown six innings in the majors twice. In 12 starts, yeah. Yes, 12 starts now. He can't go deep into games. His career high in strikeouts is five. I'm looking at the stats now. It's disgusting. Today was the first start all year where he hasn't walked anybody. He's allowing so many homers, which he didn't in the first half of the year. It seems like once it goes away from one thing, he's not allowing homers. Now he's allowing homers and he's walking so many guys. It's I just don't know what the fix is with him. And I don't know if there's something that they can point at and say, you need to work on this and you will be a major league pitcher. There's so much going on there. And the team just does not have a chance to win when he's on the mound. That's that's the biggest thing to me. It's just give them a chance and 
see what happens. But he's not even doing that. He's getting hammered and not lasting a while and turning it over to the bullpen. And everything that could go wrong with him has gone wrong. It's just a disaster. Yeah, I think that part of the problem is that he was billed as this guy who was supposed to be very major league ready in terms of uh, – Against some of a lot of the other Braves prospects, that that was his, that was his calling card was the fact that he was he was super polished and was going to be close to the majors, and that has not come to fruition. Uh, not knowing one thing to fix, as you said, is is a problem for a guy whose ceiling isn't that high in the first place, and he's already 24. You don't want to be working on four different things when you're supposed to be this major league ready guy who is uh, ahead of schedule. So that's that's a problem. Uh, I'm not like fully giving up on Blair, uh, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be, uh, as you mentioned at the very top of this, is that I'm not sure he's ever going to be a factor and that was that that's a shocking statement for me to say from where I was you know six months ago on there Blair yeah I mean the Braves have had guys like that in the past where you have all the hype in the world behind them as a starter and then they just fall flat I mean remember Jojo Reyes remember Charlie Morton guys like that that you thought they could be long-term pieces but then they got to the majors and it was like oh god what what do we do now (laughs) And I think Blair might be another one of those type of guys. I'm not saying it's definite, but right now, that's how it looks, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think you're uh, certainly reasonable there. Uh, I want to get away from Blair into a little bit more positive thing, and that is that Matt Whistler came back this week from a, a demotion and was actually quite quite good. Uh, flirted with a no hitter uh, earlier in the, earlier in the week. Uh, got through eight innings, allowing only one run and two hits. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Whistler fan. Uh, shout out to Zach Diller to Fox Sports South, the biggest Matt Whistler fan, uh, who's been telling me to preach patience on Whistler. But uh, where are you with Whistler? Also, uh, I know I know things are better than they are have been with Blair, but this has also not been the uh, the step forward season that we kind of thought that might happen with Whistler too. So is he a guy that you think is in the plans long term? Obviously, he's further along, but uh, 2017 is that a guy who you're penciling in for you know a solid spot and being a uh, a solid major league starter next year yeah i think he's going to be part of the rotation it's fine in the first half this year he was not spectacular but he was fine and then the last few starts in uh july i mean the wheels just came off he started allowing so many home runs it was just a complete disaster everything was going to hell for him he came back this week had had the strong start against the Diamondbacks. He still did walk three guys and only struck out four. He's never going to be that high strikeout guy that I think we always wanted. But with him, with him, I think we know what we're getting at this point. He was fine last season. He wasn't great. He was fine. He was fine in the first half. Young pitchers like him will have these bumps in the road. and uh, I think next season he'll be okay. And we shouldn't really worry about uh what he did in uh, July, which was just an absolute train wreck. Yeah, it was it was super rough. I was I was encouraged to see him come back strong. Obviously, him throwing eight innings of one run ball is not a sustainable thing for Matt Whistler right now. But just to see him looking uh, comfortable and pitching well off off of that stint where he got demoted, because a lot of people, you know, would have told you that, that they thought Matt Whistler was never leaving the rotation this year. Uh, but things got so bad, as you said, in July that they had to make that move. And I'm just glad to see him kind of succeed in that first start. Uh, what do you think Whistler's ceiling is? Is he like a you know a three four? Is he a five? Like obviously he's not a one. We can rule that out at this point, I think. But what do you think he is in terms of uh, his ultimate ceiling? Considering he's he's not even 24 years old yet. 
Well, the thing about ceilings like that is, I mean, when you slap a label like a two, three, or four on a guy, it's it's based on the rotation that he's in, right. obviously. I think next season he will be the Braves' third best starter behind Tehran or Fultonevich. For whatever that's worth, on a better team, maybe he's a five or not even in the rotation. On a team with ghastly starting pitching, like, say, I don't know, the Reds, he's probably their opening day starter. But I think for Atlanta, he's probably going to be their nominal number three next season. And I think that's where he's going to end up, somewhere in the middle of the rotation, a three or a four for the Braves long term. Because he's not the type of guy, like you mentioned, he's not the type of horse that will eat up so many innings and dominate lineups. He's more of a finesse guy. And uh, Tehran and Fultonevich definitely have more potential than Whistler long term. So you're not going to compare Matt Whistler to Greg Maddox? Because you know, I know Braves, Braves country likes to do that in terms of their pitching style and say that Whistler's going to be like Maddox. <laughs> well, that's, no, that was Chris Medlin. Chris Did he Medlin. say that? I missed that, I think. Chris Medlin was the next Greg Maddox a few years ago. We were, and uh, so was Jair Jurgens, I believe. Oh, but, yeah, that, one, that, that definitely happened. The Jurgens thing definitely happened with Maddox. But, yeah, that, that one stretch of Medlin uh, where he was the best pitcher on the planet for, you know, two months, was it was fun. But it was uh, fun. Then they got slaughtered in the wild card game. Oh, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, there were some other uh, issues at play there, but that's beside the point. Yeah, there were a few issues there. Uh, before we move off the pitching, I do want to ask you about the 2017 rotation. You mentioned Tehran, Fulte, and Whistler. I think it's pretty safe to say those three guys are going to be in the rotation barring trade. Uh, you know, a lot of talk about free agent additions, potential uh, potential trade guys. We can't project that stuff now, but uh, do you think they're going to go out and just sign a guy, or are they going to go young with a couple of these guys in the uh, you know the Tyrell Jenkins, the Aaron Blair, the John Gant, maybe a guy who's younger now, maybe taking a big step forward? Uh, those are good. if they go with the young guys, it could be pretty ugly. Do you think that's going to happen, or are they going to? Possibly overpay for someone in free agency. This is not a great free agent class, as I'm, as I'm sure you know. Uh, what's the? What do you think? That's what do you think is the most likely scenario for 2017 uh, rotation at the start of the season? I'm going to hedge here and say they do a little of both. I think they do what they did this year and sign a guy like a Bud Norris, a Lucas Harrell, a uh, uh, Roberto Hernandez, someone like that, just to kind of eat innings, possibly flip the deadline, hopefully get something for it take a little bit of pressure off the bullpen, and then I think they leave the last spot for one of the young kids, a, a Blair, a, a Jenkins, who I do not think is absolutely a starter. Agree. A, a Gant, who has interesting potential, Some or Rob Whalen, someone like that I think will go with for one of the spots, and then the other one, a veteran sponge innings eater that uh, will come very cheaply. So what you're saying is the 2017 team is not going to be a World Series contender because that 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 rotation is certainly not a uh, a 90 win rotation by any means uh, unless that fourth guy is a uh, some is a is a big splash trade candidate or something like that. That's not exactly a uh, a winning rotation, I don't think. If the Braves win 74 games next year, I will be thrilled. See, I'm with you all the way on this. I'm I'm just glad you I'm glad you're saying it. I, you know, talking chop, we kind of get the. Uh, the bad rap of being super negative, so I don't want to be the guy who kind of craps on everything all the time, but uh, the we're going to be a contender next year thing is kind of out the window unless they make big sweeping moves in the rotation, because much as we like a lot of these young arms, all the all the guys that we really, really like outside of uh, outside of Julio and Fulte are, you know, years away, 
So 2017, like the rotation's not going to be good. Like it might be okay, but it's not going to be good. I can't imagine a scenario which is good, especially I mean, especially in April. Maybe by the end of the year, but not not to start the year. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be good to start at all. I mean, I think a guy like Max Fried may be able to move quick if they kind of up his innings limit. I think we'll start him in Double A next season and uh, kind of loosen the reins with him a little bit. A full two years off Tommy John then next year, but uh, I don't think you're really going to see a lot of these young arms till. Uh, late 2017, early 2018, at the absolute earliest, especially considering that the best young pitching talent on the farm is two months out of the draft. You're not going to see those guys till, gosh, 2019 at the earliest. Yeah, I was going to say 2020 even uh, on most of those guys. But, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not trying to paint the negative picture, but that's something – it's definitely worth saying that the 2017 rotation is not going to be as good as some people think it might be. Uh, I wanted to ask you – uh, quickly, because this is the biggest uh, news item this week about the Jeff Francoeur trade. Francoeur is sort of a local hero. Uh, just full disclosure, I went to high school with Jeff, so I know him a little bit. We're not friends, but I've, I've talked to him a few times. Uh, and people did not like that trade, which I thought was funny, considering it absolutely means nothing. He was signed for the rest of this year, and that's all. But uh, thoughts on Jeff Francoeur being sent away? Is he, is he the new Kelly Johnson? That's the obvious thing. We could, you know, is he going to start the season next year in a Reds uniform yet again, or is this actually a farewell to the local legend that he is? I mean, he, he has value to any team, just like Kelly Johnson has value to these teams. But, I mean, there was no reason for the Braves to keep him past this year. I mean, if you can get something for him, and they clearly got something, not much, but something, I mean, why not? It's its more than you could have expected for a guy that you literally signed to a minor league contract at the end of February. Being able to cash in and just get anything in return for him, I mean, that's a huge one. Yeah, they got they got some, I mean, two, two lower level, lower tier prospects, but at the same time, like, it's late August. Like you're, you're basically trading them for one month and getting two prospects. Like not great prospects by any means, but you got an actual return for a guy who has one month left on his contract and wasn't playing for you uh, in the Matt Kemp era. Francoeur's uh, at bats kind of went away. It smelled like for me, it smelled like let's trade Jeff and do the good, do the right thing here. Send Jeff to somebody where he's going to play and be on a better team. Also, just a little bit of that. Now, obviously, you got a little bit back for him, so that's there's some value. But did have the smack of a uh, let's do Jeff a favor, and maybe we'll bring him back next year too. And this is the cynic in me talking, but they probably made a good chunk off of Francoeur merchandise sales this year too. Absolutely. Considering how little he was making, I mean, that's a win right there. Being able to sell however many T-shirts and. Oh, God, I, I pity whoever bought an actual Jeff Rancor authentic jersey this year, but jerseys and all that other crap, too. I mean, there's value in that. I guarantee it was done. As someone, I mean, I've been to more than a handful of games this year, and outside of you know Freeman and occasionally Julio and now Dansby, Francoeur gets the biggest cheer in that building on a nightly basis. Like if they if they introduce Jeff, it's an actual like eruption. As much as you can have an eruption for eight thousand people or whoever's there, uh, he's probably the most popular player on the team outside of the stars. And like they did sell, like I think Jeff Francoeur sells tickets, which is hilarious. But I think he does. Like it's not a huge amount of tickets, but like people go see him because he's a local hero. Like, this is someone who like. Is one of the best football players that's ever played in Georgia in terms of high school. Like he was a legend 
and people still care about that for better or worse. Like it's been more than a decade, but uh, I know people who have gone to games not only to see Jeff, but like maybe you know maybe that purchase was made. Oh, maybe Jeff's gonna play tonight. Well, let's go down to the park. Like that's hilarious. Again, like and I can't imagine that thought process, but I bet you, I bet you anything in the world that it exists. Oh, I mean, it definitely does. I mean, he became kind of, I don't want to say a, a legend or a hero or anything, but he was a fan favorite last year in Philly, and they actually put Jeff Rancourt t-shirts on sale, and I proudly bought one. So I, <laughs> I own Philly's merchandise, but it's Jeff Rancourt merchandise, so I guess it's okay. Absolutely, it's okay. Uh, anyway, I just, I, we had to touch on that because it happened this week, and uh, wish the best for Jeff. Would not shock me if he was back next year in a, a similar uh, bench role. Uh, but he wasn't, you know, he has value, but it, it is what it is with Jeff. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Dansby. That's the other, you know, popular topic. He sat he sat again today. He's now sat three times since he was promoted. And uh, non-coincidentally, I would say, he's sat against Max Scherzer, Zach Greinke, and Madison Bumgarner. What do you think about that strategy to kind of sit him against the best of the best pitchers? And uh, are you, uh, I mean, I, it makes sense to me that, that why they're sitting him, because he's, he's played a lot more baseball this year than he ever has, but... Uh, I guess the overall thing is: Are you as excited about Danzy as, as some people are? And uh, what do you make about this uh, this safe strategy of kind of resting him pretty pretty frequently here? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you don't want to burn the guy completely into the ground. Give him a day or two off a week. He's already had a long year, the longest year he's had in his very brief pro career, even going back to college. And I mean, they're hitting him low in the order, so it's not like they're putting too much pressure on him. They have an easier, easier slate of games coming up where he'll probably be playing more. I see nothing wrong with it. You don't want to throw the guy completely into the fire, but you don't want to uh, baby him too much and uh, risk getting him into a platoon role where he doesn't know what he's doing. So sitting him against three of the best pitchers in baseball, I have nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think uh, the Dansby hype is probably over the top in some circumstances. Like, for for instance, today on the local broadcast, they are now put together at least two different commercials featuring Dansby exclusively uh, as, like, the reason to come to the ballpark. I guess that's one reason why you promote him is to sell some tickets down the stretch here. But it's kind of funny, uh, not, not not unexpected for me, but kind of funny how much the uh, the PR machine is already behind Dansby uh, above above all else, and I think the expectations for next year are going to be absolutely through the roof. Even if he doesn't play lights out down the stretch here, and he's been pretty good so far, but even if he's just okay, you're going to be seeing people call for him to be the rookie of the year next year. There's going to be all sorts of uh, hype machine. Is he going to be able to live, live up to not necessarily even that level, but just a reasonable level of expectations? Considering you know people think he's going to be a star. Are you seeing a star, or are you just seeing like a very good shortstop for the long term? Well, I mean, he's not going to be a star the way someone like uh, Manny Machado is a star. He's going to be, you know, the face of the franchise and the one that everyone looks for, but he's not going to be one of baseball's youngest and brightest stars like a Machado or a Mike Trout or even an Andrew McCutcheon, someone like that. He's going to be the face of the franchise for better or worse, and... His play on the field, it's not going to be spectacular. He's not going to be like a 350 hitter hitting 30 bombs a year. I think he's just going to be a solid, steady shortstop. Maybe someone like a, I think maybe like a J.J. Hardy type might be his ceiling. And if you throw on the, uh, the PR machine behind someone like that, you can 
you can get the hype going, but uh, he's not going to be that guy that uh, dominates the MVP voting every year. People are going to freak out that you just pay, compare him to Anthony Swanson and J.J. Hardy, so I might even leave with that in the podcast write-up. Uh, Hardy is a good player. Oh, I know. I know that. But people are going to hear that name and freak out. His entire career, I mean, no one cares. J.J. Hardy's a dude who was hitting 20 bombs of regularity, man. And playing good defense. And playing good defense. J.J. Hardy with a higher batting average. How about that? That's a good player. Agreed. That would be a great player. I think the... You know, the the easy comp and the one that everybody seems to be making is Jeter, and people have to slow down with that. Uh, I understand why they say it. It's because he doesn't have the uh, the power upside of those guys you mentioned at the top of this, but uh, Jeter is also an unrealistic projection for anyone. Uh, even if Jeter was overrated in terms of what he actually was, uh, still, uh, that's that's a very unrealistic projection for Danzy Swanson. I think he's... More going to be like a listen. All you want out of that guy is for him to be a three or four win player on an annual basis. That you'll take that and you'll run and you'll run and you'll run some more, and that would be great. If he can hit, like, uh, I mean, he's going to be a better hitter than Simmons, obviously. Oh, if, he better be. <laughs> if he can hit like Brandon Crawford with a bit of a lesser glove, the Braves will be fine with that. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Crawford's a guy who's not famous outside of San Francisco, but like. If Swanson was Brandon Crawford, people would be overjoyed. At least I would be. Like that's that's a very, very, very good player. It's all you want. Yeah, I mean, people see that label of one-one, the first overall pick, and they think that this is going to be some kind of star-level player. But baseball is not like that. We all know that, but some people don't. They can't grasp that baseball is so much of a crapshoot. They don't realize that. Mike Trout was taken 24th overall or whatever it was, and that Chris Bryant was taken behind Mark Appel a few years ago. It doesn't work like that in baseball. Yeah, it's just so much more crapshoot. You said you said crap. That's that's the right word for it. But even then, like all drafts aren't created equal either. And I even think as an NBA guy that I am, Anthony Bennett gets referred to as a number one overall pick, and it was because there was a year where there wasn't a number one overall pick. He got it because he was just the guy who got the pick. And obviously the NBA is more projectable than baseball by a wide, wide margin. But, you know, not all drafts are created equal. If, if Danzy Swanson was in the same draft as Bryce Harper or Steven Strasburg, he wouldn't have gone number one. That's just what happens. Uh, but listen, he's gonna be, I think he's going to be good. I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I just don't think he's going to be a top ten player in baseball kind of super-duper star. And that's, it's good to go ahead and get ahead of those expectations because it's not, it's not going to happen, in, uh, at least in my mind, unless he starts. Because I, I don't see the power unless you're going to hit 340 every year, which he's not going to do. You can't reach that level without some serious pop. I don't think he has that 30-homer pop that you would need to actually be that kind of you know, top, top, top tier player. No, and he's not that big of a guy either. I mean, he's six one, but in this day and age, that's not really huge for the way that some of these players look. So there's not a lot of projectability there. Someone like Carlos Correa drafted at seventeen, and he's six four. I mean, there's a lot to go on there with power potential all around game. I don't see that kind of upside with Swanson. No, he's going to be good at everything and not awesome at really anything. I don't think, which is fine. If you're good at everything, you're going to be a very good player. Again. So I mean, we could beat that into the ground, but I just wanted people to hear that uh, expectation level. Just start start bringing it back just a little bit because the Braves are going to be pushing it. 
I don't want everybody to get carried away. I know people are going to do it anyway because that's, that's just what being a fan is about, especially for just uh, fans that want to enjoy baseball and not super dive into it like we do. Um, but at the same time, it's worth noting, uh, it's probably going to be somewhere south of what the uh, baseline is that's been expressed uh, via the team and uh, really just the general hype machine. Uh, I wanted to ask you also about, um, you know, Dansby's already up. Uh, he was obviously the big call-up, but September's about to happen. You know, a couple days will be in September, and that means roster expansion. Uh, there was an article, uh, I think it was yesterday, it might have been meant today, from Mark Bowman, uh, basically saying that Ozzy Albies was not a lock to be coming up in September, and that I think that's going to ruffle some people, because I think everyone is assuming that Ozzy's going to come up. Um but I'll, I'll ask it to you this way. Who's more likely to be promoted in September, Albies or Rio, Rio Ruiz? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say neither of them because neither of them is on the 40-man roster. There, I mean, and I'm glad you said that. And even then, like, I think even, even the fact that you had to think about that, like, people are just, I think a lot of the Braves fans are just thinking, oh, Ozzy's coming up because Ozzy and Dansby are linked at the hip. And they're, they're not. They're just not. It's going to be also obvious it's still 19 years old. But, yeah, go ahead and make your point about 40, Matt. I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to say that because it's important. I mean, if my math is correct here, it looks like the Braves do have two open spots on the 40-man to play with. But there's really – they need they need outfielders right now. There are no outfielders that are not hurt that are on the 40-man roster. So if they would add someone, it wouldn't be – Someone like an Albies or a Ruiz, who are, who are both young for their level. Remember, they're not like they're not the twenty-five-year-old that's mashing. I think Albies is what nineteen or twenty, and I think Ruiz is twenty-one or twenty-two. They're both really young guys for their levels. You don't need to push the majors, and they probably wouldn't be playing every day anyway. Oh, I totally agree with you on that. There's no question. Like, you know, you you can debate whether that would be the best. Uh, course of action if you were trying to win games would be to play Ozzy every day right now because of what you have at second base. I guess it's, it's conceivable that he could be the best option you have, but they're not going to bring him up and just start him, I don't think. It's just not something that they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, it's it would be silly to me to take Albies, who's already had this long year, and he, he struggled at AAA earlier this season, and then throw him in the fire of what is essentially a pennant race in the NL East because the Braves have games left against the Mets, against the Nationals, against the Marlins. These are teams contending for playoff spots that have really good pitching. And you can throw this kid into the fire like that. I don't think that's a smart move long term for his development. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what do you think about the, the prospects of Albies opening the year next year at second base as a starter next to Swanson? I think we all kind of assume Dansby's going to be the guy at shortstop based on the way they're treating him this year, but a lot of people are penciling in Albies at second. Do you think that's going to uh, be a realistic scenario? Is he going to have an opportunity to at least earn that job in spring training, or is it a situation where you would hold him back almost regardless? I think he will have at least a chance just because alternative now. It's not like you look at someone like Gordon Beckham or Chase Darno or Daniel Castro and think that is a long-term starting second baseman. Whereas someone like Albies, you definitely do think that. There is no real barrier to entry for him and if he's ready, why not? Why not let him start if he's ready next season? But I don't think he will be. 
I think they're going to try to roll the dice with one of these journeyman type guys, kind of like they did with Eric Ibar this year, which obviously didn't work out too well. I think they end up uh, moving Jace Peterson either to a super utility role or third base next season. They don't really let him take the hold of that second base job like he's tried to and kind of failed to over the last season and a half. So I think the door is open, but I can't say that it's a slam dunk that Albies will definitely be doing that. Yeah, the door is definitely open. It should be open. I mean, he'll be young again. He'll be, you know, next year will be his age 20 season, which is, you know, still preposterously young for a big, for a, a regular in the big leagues. But, uh, you know, Albies will get there. I don't, I don't think his upside is as high as people think it is either. But he can certainly be an above average second baseman uh, sooner rather than later if you just maximize his tools. It's just whether you think he's going to be able to hit right away. Because if he doesn't hit, he's, you know, he basically has to hit to be good. Uh, considering he doesn't have a lot of power, so he's going to have to get really any power. He's going to have to get on base at a, at a reasonably high level right away to be a productive player. I'm not sure he has that in him right now at his very, very young age. Yeah, and the Braves have a history. Since the Francois debacle, they have a history of kind of nursing these younger players and not directly throwing them into the fire. Jason Hayward, they started him as a rookie on opening day, and he was fine. Remember Freddie Freeman? He got that uh, full year at AAA and then a cup of coffee in September before coming up the next season. Brian McCann spent a half year at, I want to say, AA before they brought him up. The Braves haven't really thrown guys into the fire, and I don't think they'll do it if they don't think he's 100% ready to take the job. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. I think it's, again, you know, next year, I think we both agree it's not going to be a playoff team anyway. So I'm, I'd be okay with it if they feel like he's ready to play and start him in, start him in April. But if he's not ready, just hold him. Like there's no there's no no crime being committed if Ozzy Albies is in AAA next year. Considering he's not like it's not like he lit it up this year in AAA. Like he's been uh, that early struggles were definitely there in AAA, but he's been better since then. But it's not like he's hitting 350 and lighting the world on fire in Gwinnett either. Yeah, and I mean the door's still wide open in terms of a uh, playoff run because it's not as if one star player is leaving next season. It's not like the window we were faced with a few years ago with the impending free agencies of Hayward and Upton. We're not looking at a situation like that. This isn't a team that has a window shutting in the next year or two. You don't need to take someone like Albies and immediately push them into a starting role if they're not ready. If they need to be nursed, let them be nursed. It's fine. It does not matter long term. If they start in the majors in 2017 or if they come up in June of 2017, as long as they are ready and won't get sent back down, that's the most important part. Yeah, it's going to be a a potentially lengthy rebuild, and that's not a lot of fun for fans, but it's also probably the smart thing to do. Um, With that sort of the uh, prospect little section there out of the way, I do want to ask you, and you mentioned his name a second ago, which makes this an easy transition. Uh, the The Brian McCann rumors are back. Uh, they kind of I thought they were dead and then they came back this week. Uh, are you in on the McCann potential acquisition or are you just uh, door closed on that considering the the price tag and all that comes with it? I mean, we don't know what exactly the Yankees want. We heard that silly author of, I think it was NCRK Fulton Evans. Yes, that was it and that was really funny. <laughs> Saw dropping when I read that. But I mean if they don't pick up any of the money, they're not going to get a lot back in return. And I think they know that. 
And they've said they don't plan on eating any money, and that's fine. They're the Yankees. They don't have to eat money. They can just keep the can and let him do whatever. What I think the way Gary Sanchez has emerged for them over this month, I don't think they have a use for McCann anymore. I mean, he could conceivably DH or play first base, but they have Tyler Austin. They'll have uh, Greg Bird coming back next year. McCann is really kind of getting boxed out, and if a team, say the Braves, will take on his whole contract, if you're the Yankees, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you just let him go back to Atlanta and continue his career there instead of sitting here in New York and rotting on the bench. And from the Braves' perspective, I mean, I can see it. They only have five players actually guaranteed money next season, so it's not like uh, their payroll is in a really bad spot right now. They can afford to take it on. They don't really have that franchise catcher that they're hanging on to or wanting to build up. So, I mean, a platoon of McCann and Flowers next year, I mean, uh, I'd be fine with that because you're not really going to do better because, as we've seen this season from A.J. Pierzynski, you can do a lot worse than a uh, guy like Brian McCann. Yeah, for as much as, as, much as McCann's not been great uh, lately, I think... Aside from signing Wilson Ramos to a what, what, what will absolutely absolutely be an overpay, you can't get a better catcher out. I don't think than McCann uh, for in this offseason. And you know if the Braves are looking to upgrade there, which I think they're probably at least going to look at, McCann's probably the best option available outside of Ramos. And like you know Matt Weiders is available in free agency, but Matt Weiders is not good. Like he's not, and you're going to have to pay him, I think, more and longer. Than McCann, McCann, you kind of know what you're getting. A guy, he's he's also from here. He has a really great history of handling pitchers, especially young pitching staffs. Obviously, you're familiar with his work in general, when, when, and you know what you're acquiring. I think that's just a. It's almost safer than it would be to go out and sign a free agent of any of any accord. And you know, I, you mentioned the asking price. I'm with you on the Yankees. Like they could pay him to keep him, but if the Braves take the whole salary, like. I have to think that they could probably get away with sending a pretty small return away. I'd, I'd almost rather them do that than have the Yankees eat money and give up more prospects. I'd rather just take on the deal, trade less prospects back to New York, and just roll with McCann making $17 million because, like, he's overpaid at $17 million, but not, like, hilariously. It's not an awful contract considering it's only two, it's only two more years. Like, am I wrong there? Like, is he, is he that bad at $17 million a year where it wouldn't be worth it? No, that's not bad at all, especially for two years. And you mentioned Ramos. I mean, he's going to get a qualifying offer, assuming a qualifying offer system exists. Yeah. And that would cost the Braves a pick, which is arguably worse than giving up prospects and money to get McCann. Agreed. So if you pay Ramos, I don't know, let's say four years and 60 million just throw and that it. honestly that seems I low. have no idea what he's getting that seems low to me <laughs> also giving up a pick yeah. whereas McCann you're paying I think two years 35 million and whatever lower level prospects the Yankees want I'd rather go with McCann because you you're not going to have that boondoggle of a contract further down the road and the possibility that Ramos is blocking 
I don't know, someone like Brett Cumberland in tours for years. Yeah, I, you know, I, I mentioned Ramos because he's the only guy who I think is actually a good player on the free agent market because the Weeders option, I know Weeders played at Georgia Tech. He's a local-ish guy, but, like, he's not very good, so I'm kind of just ruling that out as an option that, I, that I'd be interested in. So it's basically Ramos is the, it's the one big-ticket item, and aside from that, you know, the Braves don't have to spend money at catcher. They could just roll with Flowers and maybe sign another uh, Prasinski-type guy to platoon with Flowers, and that's just fine. Like, Flowers have been pretty good this year, but... You know, you're probably going to be a below-average catcher uh, situation in the league if you do that. But again, next year it's, got, it's going to be a stock gap year anyway. It's not going to be a great uh, team regardless. So I, I'm cool if they don't want to trade for McCann, but I would rather them do that. Uh, I'm with you. I'd rather them do that than uh, signing a guy like Ramos to a, a deal that's going to be a ton of money for a ton of years. I mean, I could understand them going after leaders if, they could get him on a two or three year deal, but even though he's having a down year and is, uh, oh gosh, like two years removed from that Tommy John, I don't think he would look for a two or three year deal. I think even though he's been terrible at the plate this year, he'd still look for a four year deal just because of how terrible the catching crop is. I mean, it's Ramos, Weeders, and the third best catcher is probably Jason Castro. I don't know if he's a catcher long term anymore. And then after that, you're looking at guys like Josh Tolley and oh. Hunley and Ryan Hannigan and A.J. Ellis, which will make all the Dodgers fans cry because we miss A.J. Ellis. It's just <laughs> so, it's so terrible that when they signed Pierzynski to the one-year deal last year, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it because he wasn't terrible last season. And it was and, cheap. And it was cheap, and it was one year, and the catching crop was so bad. But now it's just like – I mean, you don't want to get yourself locked in for a long-term deal for a guy that is not good, like Weeders. Yeah, that, that's, that was my assumption, too. I should, I should have said that at the top on Weeders, is that I'm assuming he gets a long-term deal. Uh, if he wanted to sign a, the same contract that McCann has, like if he wanted to sign for like two for 35, then sure, that's fine. Uh, but I, don't, I think he's going to get a, you know at least a three-year, if not a four-year deal for money that he's not worth. And I don't want to be signing that contract if I'm the Braves. Uh, that, that's that's my takeaway. I mean, if, if, again, if you can get him for a bargain, then sure, if it's, if the deal is short enough. But I don't think he's that good. Uh, I guess you know if he gets healthier again off the Tommy John you mentioned, like another full year, maybe he gets better. But he's also at that age now where getting better probably isn't going to be a thing that happens. Yeah, I mean, Weeders isn't exactly a young buck either, I believe. I think he's 30, right? 30 or about to be 30. So, I mean, there's there's a limited upside there. He's still strong defensively, but the bat has just fallen off so far. Remember when Matt Weeders was like a top five prospect in baseball? I mean, he was really good in Baltimore for a little bit there when he was younger. Like, he had that nice little stretch where he was not like a super-duper elite, but like one of the top, you know, five or six catchers in baseball, right? I mean, he was still good. It was just that... Uh, it kind of went up down, downhill in a hurry. He never got quite to that you know tip-top level that people expected him to get to either. The hype train for Weeders after he was drafted was out of control. It really was. First full year, he hit 27 homers in 130 games, which is insane. And he's never matched that in the majors. His career high in homers is 23. He's never hit higher than... Uh, 288, and that was over a half season in the majors in his rookie year of 09. 
he's never been the player everyone has expected, but he's he's been a strong, solid catcher, but he hasn't been that superstar like everyone expected. And overall, it's been a disappointment given the way the hype was when he was drafted out of Georgia Tech by Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, speaking of expectations, this, this is going to be a professional segue for me. You ready for this? Um, here we go. It's going to be a professional segue because expectations are something that Freddie Freeman's dealing with right now. And uh, you wrote about Freddie Freeman this week, and I really enjoyed that. So you should go read that. That was at the outside corner, right? The Freeman that was, piece? That was at the comeback. But at the comeback. Also, you can also find it on the outside corner because we cross post every baseball on And there you go. But, uh, you know, basically he's the gist is that he's been really, really good this year, and he is really good at baseball in general. But there's been this sort of weird backlash against Freeman because of the contract that he signed. Um, I recommend reading the piece for sure um, from Joe. But I wanted to ask you, I guess, in a public forum so that you can say it out loud here. Uh, he's certainly worth that contract, right? As long as he's this guy that we've seen this year and really over his whole career, he's definitely worth that deal, isn't he? The last four years, he has been just unbelievable. And he still somehow falls under the radar. He hit his 27th homer today. That's a career high. He's hitting 289 now, which is the second highest mark of his career behind uh, 2013. He's getting on base at a 385 clip, which is incredible. He's still walking at a double-digit rate. He does so many things well. He's not going to be 27 till next week. He is Anthony Rizzo, except he plays in Atlanta and not Chicago, so nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's awesome, and I think uh, you know comes with the burden of being the face of the franchise for a team that's not good, uh, and the fact that you know Freeman's uh, his power is always going to be something that leaves people lacking. But not even this year; it's not even like he. You mentioned the home runs. He also has his career high in slugging. Like this has been the power breakout that everybody always wanted from Freddie, but it's also happening in a year where nobody cares. So it's like almost the perfect storm for him. Live stats right now: Freddie Freeman has. 4.4 war on fan graphs, which is tops among all first basemen in baseball. That is incredible given the way he gets slack for I don't know why because he because they kept him over Jason Hayward essentially and everybody loved Jason Hayward. I'm, and I did too, but the way that Freeman is just getting all this flack, I think it's kind of ridiculous. He's been the last four years, he's been probably the Fifth best first baseman in baseball behind Cabrera, Votto, Goldschmidt, Rizzo. And that's, I, I, that's yeah, I guarantee no one listening to this podcast would realize that Freeman's leading the league in uh, leading the league in WAR at the first baseman. Like that's he's been incredible this year, and that's with the slow start. Like I remember doing this podcast in like late April, being like, "All right, what's wrong with Freddie Freeman?" And, and he's still posting his career best numbers after what was pretty much an awful first month of the year. So, like, that's just kind of speaks to how good he's been for the last, you know, four or five months now. But he's also been that good over, you know, four or five years. Uh, and this is a guy who the contract, he's certainly, certainly worth a contract. All, all, all he has to do is what he's done to this point. Not even this year. This has obviously been his best year, I think, overall. Maybe that season where he hit, like, 320 or whatever it was a few years ago. But... Even if you take his like baseline year, if he does that over the over the over the breadth of this contract, the contract's an absolute win. Like it's not it's not even close. Oh yeah, I mean, and look at some of the other first base contracts, Votto's, uh, 
what the uh, Rangers are paying Prince Fielder not to play. Miguel Cabrera, the deal Chris Davis just got, they all destroy Freeman's contract in total value. And he's still got five years left, and it maxes out at $22 million. That's That's downright reasonable by comparison. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, again, you guys should all go, all go read that piece from Joe. It was very good on Freddie. Uh, before I let you go, man, I have to ask you this question. I've been asking everybody that comes on that's not a TC uh, employee, so to speak, and uh, that is basically to say, who is, uh, quote-unquote, your guy among the Braves' prospects right now? It doesn't have to be the best player or somebody you think is going to be awesome, but more of the guy that you find yourself believing in that's not necessarily a consensus guy. I know uh, our own Eric Cole is a, it was a huge Mike Soroka guy from like way back the first guy on Mike Soroka. Who's your guy in the system right now that you seem to love more than anybody else does? Man, I don't really have a quote-unquote guy, but for some reason I find myself looking up Joey Wentz way too much and seeing what he's doing, what he's been up to. I've been pleasantly surprised so far. I didn't expect him to come along as strong as he has. I know it's only been a couple of months, but uh, I think he could be something really special long-term. That's your guy from now on, Joe. That's that's your guy. You're, you enjoy once. I wonder why that's your guy, considering you have the same name. <laughs> My family can call me Joey. Thank you very much. It's you know it's it's the same it's the same body of it's the same body of name. Uh, I get, what, what, I, get, I don't even know how to describe that. What's the the same root? That's what we'll same, go. With, same, what we'll go with same given name. There you go. Perfect. Um, hey, man, thanks for doing this. Uh, go ahead and plug yourself. I kind of already did that at the top, but I want you to tell people where they can find you and where to read you and all that fun stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe underscore TOC, where I mostly complain about the Braves and talk about soccer. Uh, you can find my work at awfulannouncing.com and thecomeback.com mainly. But uh, really, that's about it for me. I'm a, I'm a very busy man right now. I have... Uh, Oh, gosh, I have a lot going on with uh, running the show at Awful Announcing and uh, the soccer season getting started on big Manchester City fan. So I am consumed with that, especially with the uh, way the Braves are playing this year. I uh, really don't spend much time watching the Braves at night anymore. I don't blame you. Uh, I'm having those spells myself. I have to uh, kind of, just because of what I do, I have to watch the Braves, but... It's been a labor of love this year, to be sure, for the major league team. The my, I'm kind of jealous of the minor league staff that on, on our on our team that have kind of just been locked down the minor league guy. That's so much more fun than covering the major league team right now. Anyone who was watching like every Braves game this year um, and actually like going through it and enjoying themselves, uh, more power to you because just watching today, I wanted to like throw my glass through the wall. I was so angry. Yeah, you you got to love baseball. I have the two TVs set up in my living room, and the Braves are often on TV, too, with no sound, and I kind of just stop watching it. It'll be on, but it's like it's kind of just there, and I'm watching something else. That's how I, that's how I managed to navigate uh, the 100-and-something games to this point. It's just kind of not paying attention, but paying attention. Where I live, I mean, I get four RSMs on my local cable package, and it takes so much effort to turn on my Roku and switch to MLB.tv if the Braves aren't playing one of those four local teams. So I can just watch the Orioles or the Nationals or the Phillies or the Pirates with, without having to go through that extra step. And I won't want to just like put my head through a table in the third inning. And that, and that is a ringing endorsement of this uh, of the 2016 Atlanta Braves, if I've ever heard one in my life. So get your tickets now, Atlanta. 
Boondoggle Field 2017. Oh, we don't have enough time to talk about that. Anyway, uh, thanks for coming on, Joe. I appreciate it, man. We'll have to do this again sometime. Thanks for having me, Brad. Really appreciate it. Uh, as for that's going to do it for today. But uh, again, stay tuned for, as always, for the podcast. Subscribe on iTunes. That would be huge for us. Leave us a favorable review. And as always, uh, visit our, our website at talkingchop.com for all your Braves needs. Uh, thanks for listening again, everybody, and uh, stay tuned.